You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 46, Speaking German with the Fluent Show. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. This week, I'm joined by Kirsten Cable of The Fluent Show, and I must say I can barely believe it. I've been such a huge fan of The Fluent Show for a very long time. So what does one talk about with another language podcaster who's seen it all? We talked about her language journey through loads of different languages, including her love of the Welsh language and culture. Kirsten tells me about her native German as well, and we have some fun pronouncing some German words. And because Kirsten is from a winemaking family, I also had a chance to learn about German wine and wine culture in Germany. So much fun, and we laugh a lot in this episode. But before you get into it, I just want to announce that Women in Language is coming up this weekend from March 4th to March 7th, and yours truly will be presenting during the event. How fab is that? Women in Language is an incredible event bringing together a diverse group of women, sharing what we know and what we've learned about languages. I'm honored to be able to participate this year. To learn more about the event, Kirsten fills us in during the episode, but you can also click the link in the show notes to get your ticket. And FYI, it's open to everyone to attend, not just women. Thank you to Kirsten for taking the time to talk with me in this episode and for continuing to champion women's voices in the language learning community. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. Okay, let's chat. So welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. And I I started this show a year ago and I literally never thought that I would be sitting here saying these words, but I am absolutely delighted to have as my guest today, Kirsten Cable of The Fluent Show. How are you, Kirsten? Hi, I'm I'm great. I'm I... great. <laughs> so happy to be here, as people say when they go to podcasts. Yeah. But I genuinely am. I'm I'm excited. I'm so happy to have you here and and I'm just so thrilled that I'm actually sitting down talking with you for an episode. It's a little surreal <laughs> for me um because I definitely I'm a big fan of your show and you know your show is such an inspiration for me um when I was oh, starting thank you. as I'm starting out and and I just I'm beside myself I'm a fangirl right now <laughs> I'm so excited so okay uh, this has never happened to me so thank you <laughs> um I like to start each episode with the same question. And that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? My first language is German. Uh, and I understand Luxembourgish because I grew up with a really strong dialect of German spoken in my household as well. Oh. Uh, like my grandma spoke, it's called Moselfränkisch. And it's really close to Luxembourgish because I'm from the like a hundred miles away from the Luxembourgish border sort of kind of thing. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. 
Um, apart from that, I just spoke German, 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 and um, that, which doesn't mean there wasn't language in my general world. I think I always was curious about it. We, my family, we're winemakers. We had um, Polish seasonal workers a lot. Mm-hmm. So you would hear that. And then in school, we sort of started, you know, doing a little bit of, let's sing this song. It's in French. Let's sing this song. It's in English. And the radio was in English. And my mom, like I used to listen to my mom's records and tapes a lot when I was little, when I was, even when I was really little. Mm-hmm. And um, so by the time I started to learn English, which is when I was 10 in school, I was so so eager to learn English I was so ready for it that (laughs) (laughs) it was it it felt like a long time coming if you know what I mean yeah so English is kind of my second like official I don't know it's it's the language it's my first language I learned in a formal environment and then in that same school I was really lucky because um, I was in the same school for about eight years and we did compulsory French and then I did some optional Italian later I studied Latin for three years and then I went to train as what's called a like multilingual secretary European secretary Mm -hmm. and that was really heavy on the French and English and so like you have to be completely functional and also translate and also summarize newspaper articles and just full functionality and um, also conversational Spanish and that's kind of my life until I was 20 then I moved to the UK, had a bit of a break, but in the last maybe 10 years, I've started language learning, kind of picked it up again. This is a long story because I yeah. just realized I'm really old. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, but, you know, I'm not 20. And um, <laughs> yes, so then I kind of, I think I started with Russian, played around with that for a bit. At some point dropped Russian for Welsh. Welsh is the best language. I love it. I love it. I've been learning Welsh for five and a half years. Um, I'm now conversational. I can really chat in Welsh. Uh, oh, B- wow. B2, my book says. Um, and then last year I was learning Chinese for a little bit. So now I kind of bounce around a little bit more. But Welsh is, is, a, is a steady one for me. Oh, wow. <sighs> <laughs> Where do you think or do you think that, I guess, growing up um, so close to another country and having this Um, additional dialect in your home that's so close to what's spoken in another country do you think that kind of spurred you to want to learn so many different languages or was was that a seed that was planted in your head like from very young I'm I'm not sure that it it drove me to learn lots of different languages to be honest, for me, it's never really been about the number. I never feel like I want to do more languages, as in, like, add, add some. It's more that, you know, a new one comes along and you go, oh, that looks good. That's interesting. <laughs> Ooh, and then, you you know, before you know it, you were going to double for two months and it's been a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think it did make a difference. And it's not unusual. Where I come from, it's not unusual to grow up near a different country. Germany borders on what eight countries or something like that and most of them do have a different official language Um, even in in Austria like Italy is spoken in border regions Hungarian might kind of drift across Um, Germany hasn't always been this shape of Germany and all that kind of thing so it always felt like 
languages, I guess, were a, were just a part of life. Yeah. And if you grow up with not English, I'm sure you'll have heard this from other guests. If you grow up with not English, then you kind of know, like you you learn English. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it's almost composed. It's like learning maths. Really? Or math for the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why we, we, we don't have the S on the math. I don't know. No, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I asked that question because, and I, I think about this a lot, like, you know, growing up here in the U S mm. and I grew up in New York city. So, you know, it's very multicultural. There's 800 languages spoken here. It's, it's, there's a lot, but for me, like, I didn't have that exposure to, you know, pr- I didn't have proximity to other languages when I was growing up because of, you know, it, it when you're in like the touristy part of New York City or the more commercial areas, like you hear more languages, but when you live here, you know, you're not living in like the middle of Manhattan, like you're living, like I grew up out in the Bronx and, you know, people grow up in, in different boroughs of New York. So as with every neighborhood in any place in the world, like you, you're only surrounded by certain people. So you don't, you don't get exposed to everything, but for me, and I guess because I've been examining this for a while in myself, like Mm. where has this desire to become multilingual, where did it come from? What sparked it for me? And I think that I haven't really settled on a conclusion because I think it comes from a few different places. Um, Yeah. But I'm always curious to know like how other people got their spark and and what, what drives them, what keeps them going and wanting to learn you know, wanting to dabble in Welsh for six weeks and then it turns into four years, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) where does that, where does that come from? And, and I think it's interesting, like you're right, you know, in Germany and Europe in general, like you have so much proximity to completely different languages. So you you know, what I think is, is in there for me is I think what English speakers, what I sometimes notice with especially native English speakers is there is this hesitation to believe that you can even learn another language, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I don't have a big desire. I've never felt a big desire to become a person who speaks lots of languages or become multilingual or something like that. Partly because I didn't feel like it would change, it would say anything about me. I understand what you're saying and I guess I can think about it in like my own terms like for me as an American if I go on to learn four languages it's like a feat it's an accomplishment whereas for someone who grew up around different languages maybe in Europe or in Asia and Africa um it's like most of Belgium is bilingual you know right right so it's, <laughs> it's just a Tuesday you know it, there's nothing like greatly extraordinary about that accomplishment I think uh yeah I think so I think there is I think something about there's something about oh I'm just interested in this I'm going to do this for a little bit and then I'm kind of bumbling on a little bit further it's so much easier 
this is funny because now I'm saying it, I'm realizing that this is, this is even true for me in business mm. and in any venture, any venture, business, fitness, whatever it is, if you're just doing it for, for fun and you've no attachment to the outcome of it, then you do better. Oh yeah. But then if you, when you start doing well, then you start having attachment to the outcome of it you're... and then it goes away and then you start worrying that you're not going to do well anymore. Yes. It's t- mad. It's human madness. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's like like you said with fitness. You know, if you're trying to lose weight, you gain three pounds. If you don't try to lose weight, you lose ten pounds. Like you mm-hmm. just you know, it, the universe doesn't give you exactly what you want. Yeah. So I guess I didn't feel like even when I was then picking up Italian, then when I was doing Latin, I just chose school subjects that I thought were, that sounded more like it sounded more fun than chemistry. Oh yeah. I got rid of physics the second I could because that's not my that's not my thing. So I was more like it's not like I was trying to become a person who speaks four languages at the age of 18 or something like that. I mm-hmm. I was just picking the school subjects that are fun. Yeah. So when you were in school and you had this opportunity um to pick the languages, how did you do in school? Like what was that experience like when you were going through these different languages and and you know, figuring out what you wanted to study. Oh gosh, uh, I did read. I think I did on the good side of mediocre, or the mediocre side of good, however you want to see it. Mm. Probably generally in school, I excelled in English. Always, always, always A plus student in English. That was the one I cared about. That was the one where I worked hard. But that was the one that, because I worked hard and I, I just was so obsessed with it. I, I was really good at it. Um, mm-hmm. So English was kind of my main uh, thing. Mind you, I am from a like a very small rural village. So I wasn't like a worldly person who understood anything about England or America. But I did a lot of dreaming and I did a lot of pop music listening. Mm. Um, and the internet wasn't really a thing when, you know, in those days. So <laughs> not so But, you know, it really... You couldn't just go online, watch a lot of YouTube and learn something about these places. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> uh, you, yeah, in French, oh, I don't know. I never really loved French. I didn't really love the teachers I had. It was all like Camus and absurdist drama and all oh. this stuff. And oh, I don't know. It was so up its own. <laughs> I, wasn't, I just didn't like it. It wasn't my thing. I found it not easy like I didn't linguistically I didn't struggle but I just had very little cultural interest in like, I wasn't picking up what they were putting down at all right um so I think I actually got like a d minus in my final final ex- no hang on that's not true a d plus so or something like that like it wasn't a good grade oh, wow. at all but when I went to do the secretary training all our teachers were these like lively funny French women mm-hmm and we talked much more about contemporary topics and news articles and that kind of stuff. And they were pushing us in a different way and having just all these conversations and making jokes and uh, divorce. Natürlich, of course, it's masculine because it's a masculine word. It's divorce. All the bad things are masculine. <laughs> it was, I just remember for the first, I felt like for the first time, I took French for what? Uh, five years mm-hmm. in, in school school or in whatever, like, yeah, school, yeah. high school, and um, in gymnasium. And then I went to secretary training, and I felt like that was the first time I laughed in French. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then I got better because it was fun it was much funnier Um, but before that it was like well I guess like the choice that they give you at age 13 in my school or gave us was do you want to do French or Latin I was like "Mm, let me think Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and then in Italian again I did really well because it was just a it wasn't like a it was an elective it was like hey do you want to hang around in the afternoon and do Italian I was like yeah yeah okay um so again it was different Mm -hmm. I think French was probably the one I struggled with most until until I found something that I enjoyed about it Mm. I, I love that you're saying that and I've I think one thing that I really enjoy about doing this show is how many people have been just saying school was terrible or I had a terrible time in school with this subject and it wasn't until I figured out how to relate to it through my favorite mm-hmm. sport or, you know, movies or music or, you know, different things. And yeah, I just, like you, I started studying languages before there was the internet. Like I couldn't go on YouTube. I couldn't even, you know, it, my options were like Berlitz or uh, like the, you know, the the tapes. Yeah, like Rosetta or something. Yeah, I don't even think Rosetta Stone was really what? popular here. But I remember, um, or Rosetta Stone was like a thousand dollars. Remember, it was like super expensive, and I could go to the bookstore and get like the big, you know, let's learn French like cassettes that came with the booklet, and mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we didn't have all of these resources so you know there was no one really telling us that uh you don't have to you know keep your head in a book and and pass a test just to learn a language I would have never at the age of 18 or something like that I would have never ever self-studied a language yeah no no, like I mean I was you know I was being well served by school um and you know I was always doing lots of languages in my full-time education but it wouldn't occur to me to do like another one as a hobby no way I mean I do it now (laughs) but but no no that's not I've not always been that person Mm -hmm. that's for other people yeah (laughs) so impressive people than me for sure how have your methods for studying languages um how have they adapted over time I mean I guess we talked a little bit about this but was there any was there any point that you got to where you said you know what this specific thing is not working for me um I'm gonna do something Mm -hmm. else and like that other thing like did you ever have a point where you were really assessing like how to get your 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 style that works for you that's an interesting question because I was I I basically I did that secretary thing and then I went to England to university and then I did French in my degree and then I was so from the ages of like 10 to 21 or something like that I was always learning a language in a formal environment Mm. so I never really thought about self-studying how or whether that would be possible it just didn't occur to me Um, and then for a while I just kind of didn't until the interest came back and that was sort of maybe I had like five six years where I I was still I think I was repeating like there was this thing where you could repeat the university module that's like that was like French 301 or whatever 
So I was doing that again. I was like repeating third year French, still taking formal classes mm-hmm. off of my own. So I guess that's kind of a transition. It was like me choosing to do it, but still getting all of my instruction externally. And then the transition then at some point it came to me choosing to do it, but not taking external taking as much external instruction and for me that's not really been because external instruction doesn't work for me or it's too slow or too fast I'm really Mm. gregarious I like other people (laughs) Um, I enjoy working with other people and and in the language class it's nice you get to hang out with it's fun so it was um, I always took the classes when I could for that it changed from being about the language but also to become a social thing oh okay and um I guess the social and and then I started doing this job and this job for me started as so so now I'm I guess a language coach Mm. Um, now I have a job that no one can describe anymore great but (laughs) (laughs) essentially I help people learn languages but all languages so I talk about study skills and mindset and that is the focus say of the fluent show for example Mm -hmm. and that evolved from being a German tutor so when I first started out I was like can't do my like I was on a burnout I was really struggling with my actual job my my full-time job yeah and it was sort of what can I even do what what you know what skills do I have in my brain oh I guess I have German let's you know Mm -hmm. um, do that and that then got me more and more interested in how people learn more and more interested in how I can support people learning helped me realize more and more that what I want to do is not really just tell people the best way to learn a German prefix Mm. I mean that's valuable and I could but there was just this other thing where I just saw people standing in their own way so much yeah and I'm just so interested in that like the amount of times we think the language or the linguistic part is the problem but actually there's something in your head or your in your life that's actually also tripping you up Mm -hmm. and that really tickles me and gets me and that's what I get excited about so that's how I ended up here I think which isn't now about my own language learning anymore so I'm sorry yeah, and no that's great and that's what I I really love this about this show because you know I'm talking about languages but I'm really sharing your story and mm-hmm. talking also about you know culture which we'll get to a little bit later and just like all things that people don't even really think of when it comes to learning a language. And I'm so glad that you said that about, you know, people standing in their own way, because this is my current state, I think, of just a year ago from today, I would have sat here and said, I can't learn this because I've tried for 20 years and I can't figure out the subjunctive case of blah, blah, blah. And it would have just been all about the grammar and how much I'm terrible and I can't say anything in the future or the past tense and I don't deserve this and blah, 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 blah. But then over the course of the year, I really realized like my problem is not, you know, the cases. My problem is not declining a verb. My problem is that it's in my head. It's my own mental block that's keeping me from getting to where I want to be. And so, you know, I've really been um, focusing on improving my confidence and just Mm -hmm. trying to feel confident, trying to feel, 
you know, ready to make mistakes and not be so self-conscious lying awake at night, like, oh my God, I use the wrong tense or I spelled this word wrong and <laughs> they're going to think I'm so stupid. Like, I don't, you know, I just, I don't want to, um, I still remember this one time, this was six years ago and I was cheer. I was like, I had, uh, I was having a, a beer with someone in Paris and instead of saying santé, I said, salut. And this person corrected me. And that was in 2015. And I still remember that like <laughs> all the time. And it's just like, I don't want to have those kind of moments anymore because it was such a small thing. And I'm sure if I went and I said to this person, like, do you remember that time I completely said the wrong word? Like they wouldn't remember. So <laughs> yes and the thing is as well like if you just laugh that off it, it doesn't actually matter that you make the mistake it doesn't mm-hmm. matter it doesn't matter that you can't say anything in the future tense. I think for two years in Welsh I just said something in the present tense and then said next week yeah you know and and just hoped for the best it's if if there's any kind of secret like I don't know if I could bottle the the attitude I have to how bad I actually am <laughs> Um, that I would I would really happily share this with lots of people because my attitude really is like ultimately if you come with a smile and you're somewhat comprehensible you can achieve probably 80% of your goals without being that good at it and it's Mm going to make you want to be better yeah yeah absolutely that is a good uh, segue I think to talking about fluent language and the fluent show Um, I would love to know everything how you got started. I mean, I, I'm sure that everyone listens to my show, listens to your show, like first and foremost. But just in case they don't, just uh, in case the show is the website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just in case they don't, you I don't know why you're not listening to the fluent show. Um, but please tell us what are some of the aims and goals of fluent language? What are some of your methods? Um what are some of your clients motivate if you can you know talk about that um and and the fluent show how did you get started with the show and and how has it become an extension of your coaching and and tell us everything (laughs) oh my oh we haven't got time we haven't got time um i guess if i had to describe what i do with fluent language without without any judgment it is like a multi-passionate business I kind of work based on what I think is important what I think is going to be fun but the outlook is is it's always like the prism I look through is always language and helping people learn languages Mm. and the fluent show is one of the most focused expressions that I have (laughs) (laughs) um and it builds it builds kind of into into my business. So what I do essentially as a as a coach is I work with people who want to learn other languages and usually I work with people who are who are stuck for some reason and I'm I'm quite good at getting people unstuck and I there's certain patterns that I see running people into. So I help with that, but I'm also quite experienced as a as a teacher and I think I benefit from knowing a lot about self-study as somebody who has self-studied, but also has supported lots of people as a tutor. So I come at it from that side and then being interested and having done this for 
this is my eighth year of, of having fluent language, Yay. having done a lot of, you know, researching and, and learning about how people learn. So mm -hmm. I kind of bring all of that together. I look at the research. I look at science. I am not prescriptive. I don't have one method that everybody needs to follow. Um, however, I do help people set good goals, track their actions kind of become more self-aware about how they are learning mm -hmm. and kind of claim for themselves that they already have good answers to most of the questions that are in their head mm. and yeah I've got that I do that yes <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of you know product product wise um, I for example my core course that I teach is called the language habit toolkit which is all about building structure for yourself and getting organized um, but obviously also talks about core skills of language so I bring together this kind of not productivity but getting organized and feeling you know how to be motivated and how to make your make yourself play along with this thing that you want to do learning a language yeah uh, kind of like a personal trainer I guess if you wanted to run a marathon mm. um, and then on the other hand I also have the the kind of general language learning good practice that I can share with people so that they don't I don't know do stupid things like thinking immersion is the only way that could possibly do something and then they don't do anything because it's not immersion right don't don't do that that's stupid so there you go <laughs> <laughs> free tip yeah yeah pro tip <laughs> um that's kind of I, i'm very bad at talking about my business uh the fluent show started as the creative language learning podcast i started it in 2013 i think we're now on 207 episodes i think recorded so yes. it's still going strong. Mm -hmm. uh, we changed it to the, I changed it to the Fluent Show in 2018 because I realized every time I told people it's the Creative Language Learning Podcast, they kind of got bored halfway through the name. It's a very long name. Mm. Uh, so don't give your podcast a long name is my lesson that I learned from that. Um, but it is still kind of about that. It is about creative approaches to learning languages mm -hmm. because that's what I'm most interested in. Yeah. I want you to tell us um those of us who are listening and may not uh listen to your show already mm -hmm. um maybe like two or three people um <laughs> tell us where we can find you and if anyone wants to reach out to you to work with you uh let us let us know how we can do that mm. Uh, my website is and has been for eight years fluentlanguage.co.uk and that's that would be the place where you can find my courses you can take online classes with me in German and in well I've got like a Welsh Dublis class mm -hmm. and um, I've got a French class and obviously these really cool classes that make you better at studying any language that I think you should look at um, but there's also a link to the podcast there and you get the whole archive and L, I have something embarrassing to admit. I recently got somebody to type up a database of all of my blog posts <gasps> ever. Mm -hmm. And I have got 500 blog posts wow. sitting on this website. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not optimized or SEO, but I think you should go, you know, there's a search on there. Like, you see what you can find. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're, here, they're here for you and they're, they're just available for everybody. That's great. That's a great resource. <laughs> yeah, who knew? <laughs> so I will take your information, of course, and add it to the show notes mm -hmm. um, so that anyone can can click 
and find you very quickly. And hopefully, uh, you know, anyone with an issue can can work with you and and sort sort out their their language goals. Yeah, do it's worth working on it. It is really worth working on it. I think the amount of times that I have seen people make a lot of progress in an hour of just having that conversation with somebody who is there to bounce things off of you or people who bought, you know, who got one of my courses and then two weeks later you hear in front of them and they say, oh, you finally made me realize that I was getting stuck on this. Mm. But because, because of what you've offered me, this kind of perspective or this kind of way of looking at it, sometimes that's all you need. It's not mm -hmm. my courses that do that uniquely, but they're good you might as well look at them I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know it, it does pay I think we underestimate how much it pays in terms of time in terms of effort in terms of intelligence to invest in your general skill at getting better at languages yeah yeah for sure and while we're talking about investment and skills and language and there's another thing that you have been working on and it's coming up. I'm not going to tease it because I'm terrible at that, but women in language 2021. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I, and this is something that I've been doing for, with two friends, Lindsay from Lindsay does languages and Shannon who is she's still Eurolinguist that's always been her blog so she's Shannon's from California Lindsay is from Milton Keynes UK and I'm sort of from the UK mm -hmm. via some other places <laughs> and we run an online event together it's called Women in Language and it's a four-day event the idea is that it's designed to champion celebrate amplify the voices of women in language learning so we've got a lot of speakers it's an online conference we haven't got any men as speakers Men can come though. So if you are listening to this, please, please come. And uh, yeah, tickets are $29 and it's an absolute laugh. It's amazing. It's really, really a good time. It is. And I, I attended my first one virtually last year and I just couldn't believe just how <laughs> much diversity and how different everybody's, you know, the panels that you had, you had mm. uh, the talks, people who, who gave talks. And I was just like, I personally just didn't know so many people had so many angles um, to learning their languages, embracing the languages they're learning and the topics that people, I was blown away by just, yeah. you know, the, how many people, you know, cause I, I think for me, it's very easy for me to feel alone um, in, in this journey of learning a language and loving culture and embracing all these things. But I actually got to attend Women in Language and I felt like, wow, it's not just me. It was like in the Wizard of Oz when like, you know, everything turns to color around Dorothy. And she's like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you are so sweet. Oh, I thought it, I, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought everyone was brilliant. I, I just, um, you know, because when I first heard of women in language was uh, when I was listening to your podcast at my old job mm. and I was miserable and I hated it. And I was like, oh, I want to do this women in language. But then because I was listening to your back episodes, it had already passed. So I was like, oh, I got to wait to the next one. So mm. then I got to attend it. Um, 
I was looking forward to it. And then you, you had to postpone it, right? Last year. We, yes. So right. what happened with women in language, the way women in language was actually conceived was, I think I had, in, I had bouncing around in my head that I wanted to do something with sort of women and language and event kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it didn't have any shape. And maybe Shannon kind of felt the same way too. Like we could, I think we could all feel it um, at the time. And I know, I think I went to, I went to, I saw so much media stuff. And every time it was media stuff about polyglots, especially here in the UK, it was always like basically the same three guys. Mm. And I remember seeing one expert panel somewhere and it was the same three guys. Oh, and wow. I love them. I love them. But it's the same three guys mm -hmm. um, and a lady. And the lady was just there because she was the mother of a multilingual child. Oh, wow. And I was just like, I just got so ranty about it. I couldn't get it out of my head. I just got really, I got really ranty about it. So I kind of had it in the back of my head that this is like a thing that Kirsten gets ranty about or whatever. And that <laughs> I, energy of mine goes to seemingly. Uh, like my 30s have been all about me becoming a feminist for, for sure. And uh, <laughs> regardless of that, like not as a kind of radical feminist event or anything like that. Lindsay just mentioned, oh, um, I'm thinking about doing an event. Do you, do you want to maybe do something? Um, I was thinking maybe a, like a live event on International Women's Day, which is the 8th of March. Ah, okay. That was the whole, that was the whole idea. It was Lindsay's idea. Um, and I think between me and Shannon, like we both were like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, very quickly tried to pull together a bunch of people and then realized we've got four days worth of events here. Um, at least and mm -hmm. I mean this, this is the thing though about women in language learning in language uh, spaces it's not quite the same anymore maybe we're making a tiny dent I'm just going to flatter myself and think maybe but you you know like you think around and especially at the time like certainly you were like oh who are the great speakers that we can have oh I don't know can we pull in together enough people I think people sometimes think that that it might be hard to get like you know it's in our case it's women but it's so many other like is it is it really hard to get like so many experts who are women and whatever queer women who are people of no it's not mm -hmm. it really isn't and we don't really have to look very hard so with women in language it sort of also became about so you can tell I'm passionate about this <laughs> it became about like this list and these people that we can champion that we can highlight who've got something to say who are great and and just almost becoming that like resource. Like I never want women in language to be the only place where a woman thinks she can speak. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I want them all to go. And like, like you, by the way, listeners, um, I think you'll find that Elcheris is not telling you that she's a speaker this year, but <laughs> I, I like, I want you and everybody else to, yes, maybe speak at women in language, but I want you to speak at all the things because the thing is about putting you out there. So this is just this is just meant to be step one, really. Does this mm. make any sense? This is a bit rambly. But <laughs> in answer to your question, that's why we started in March. <laughs> and no. then last year, it just wasn't happening in March. And then in the end, we were like, oh, this was before the pandemic. Let's just do it down the line. Let's do it in the se September. Yeah. And then this year, we're, we're course, not course correcting. We're like bringing it back to where it has always been. Right. And that's where we're doing one six months after the next one. That was long. <laughs> 
No, but that's good because obviously, you know, this is something that, you know, you've worked really hard to put this together and you're really passionate about that. And that comes across and mm. it's it's really a wonderful event. And I yeah, I don't I'm, think we expected the community uh, to like uh, you can't engineer a community of people who are just awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think because it, it came from a place of joy and celebrating something and putting something together that is just slightly different mm -hmm. the community that collects around women and language is is definitely its own kind of magic yeah. and it is really it's a bunch of not even a bunch like now we have over 700 people so it's like a big bunch a, a tiny village <laughs> of it really is isn't it of yeah. just wonderful people who mm. who are all who, who just all get it I don't know it's amazing It really is. And I'm so happy to be speaking at Women in Language this year. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled, actually. So I, I can't wait. And I want people to uh, buy a ticket, buy a ticket. So <laughs> where can we buy our tickets, Kirsten? So you can get your tickets at womeninlanguage.com. We start on the 4th of March this year. And we finish on the 7th. So we've got four days of language madness. It's an online conference. And we don't do, you don't have to pay any extra the tickets at $29. You don't have to pay any extra to get the replays. They're just included in the price. Uh, we also do a raffle. So you could win something worth, it's usually over a thousand. I think we'll manage it again. Yeah, we've got three amazing prizes. And what else? Oh, we also have people bingo. And there is a Facebook group that runs over the events. So you can connect with the speakers and you can connect with other attendees. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. It's a, it's a busy event and well worth your time, I would say. It's like a festival. I, <laughs> I'm going to add. Yeah, I'll add those links again into the show notes so that um, and it's coming up soon. So don't hesitate if you don't have your ticket. Um, get it now. Don't think mm. too much about it. Just do it. I wanted to ask you about Welsh. Like, okay, how, yeah. how did you, how did Welsh become this language that you fell in love with? Well, I, my first contact with Welsh is, um, there's a Welsh TV channel in the UK called S4C. So every now and then I might have kind of, you know, like when you're on the satellite channels and you're kind of flipping through, I might've hit the Welsh channel. So that was kind of my first awareness that, Welsh exists and is not dead because when I first moved to the UK I basically thought this is a dead language mm. heck it's not nowhere near <laughs> like no <laughs> more than like more than I think half a million speakers now yes so that was my first contact and then I remember one occasion where I, I think I said my first Welsh words when my husband and I went on holiday to Pembrokeshire, which is a really amazing part of the country, absolutely beautiful, and it's Wales. And then on the way there, we were listening to podcasts in the car and we found this Learning Welsh podcast and just kind of both sat in the car and went, Boreda, good morning, okay, Prananda. My husband even still knows those words, you know, <laughs> from, from the podcast. That was my first Welsh. And then I was sort of idly, for a while, I was kind of idly playing around with it. Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah and then that was the year that we got married so then I was busy getting married and all that stuff <laughs> and after we came back from honeymoon I was like okay I'm gonna learn Welsh now um, and do a little bit more with it 
and then I just did for five years I basically just did a little bit more and then did a little bit of this and then did a little bit of that um I took a course that I believe you can't take for free anymore but is not uh not spendy and a thousand times worth it it's called say something in welsh it's really Mm -hmm. good Mm -hmm. it's an audio course but one that makes you answer back and um i did a lot of that i did a free bbc course and um then kind of kept going out to wales and i just really have always really liked the fact that it's i think of it as i live in the uk and we think of the uk as monolingual maybe Mm-hmm. but it really isn't I've got a podcast episode about that by the way <laughs> uh, and going to Wales where all the signage has to be is legally bilingual basically all the public signage yeah. is bilingual is like unlocking a different level on like a video game you know where you like have the secret room where all the coins are it's yes. a little bit like that because huh. I live in this country where I don't get joy of language is like I love the UK but it certainly isn't like like living in Germany near the French border mm-hmm. but with Wales it is it's all there yeah how interesting and it's beautiful and the language is amazing the language is so lovely and it's a rural area and I'm from the countryside and I think I kind of feel connected in a weird way mm. I don't know it's for yeah. me. I, I, I do I love doing all of them both good come right. I really I'm I'm really into Welsh. <laughs> what does that mean? That just means I'm really into Welsh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Shall we move on to German? Of whatever you like. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> um <laughs> I would love to know what are some things about the German culture and the language that you find unique? And is there something from Germany that you cannot possibly explain to someone who has never visited or lived in Germany? Oh, this is really tricky, Elle, because ah, because I've been away from Germany for that long. So I can tell you what I miss the most about Germany. Sure. And I can tell you... I can tell you things that I notice now that are like super German, <laughs> but you have, I have to, I have to preface by saying I live more as a British person than a German person mm. uh, these days, mind you. Okay. So some things about German culture, Germany is um, diverse and I don't mean ethnically diverse, not that it isn't, but what I'm talking what I mean is Germany is, is, made up of uh, it's got 16 states and I think each state has got its own like little soul and it's I guess it's a bit like USA like we're federal mm-hmm. we've got that in common um and that's something that I would I I think people don't necessarily realize about Germany I think people who think about Germany often have an image in their head that is Bavaria where it's like the Alps and the leather trousers and the beer Um, And we love our traditions. We celebrate our traditions. But Hamburg is also Germany. Mm -hmm. Berlin is also Germany. Where I'm from, which is a winemaking region, like way better than the ones in France. (laughs) It's it's also Germany. Um, (laughs) I I, I cannot guarantee you that. Um, But, you know, like like one of the world's 
like one of the world's um, most renowned Riesling wine growing areas is is Germany. Ooh. And Germany just has so much variety mm-hmm. and it's got so much going for it. And something that really surprised me with English friends, British friends, is that they they tell me they thought Germany would be really industrial, mm. but it it isn't at all. And it doesn't have like this one center, like the UK has got London and it's so London centric. But in Germany, I don't think it's like that. Mm -hmm. I think Germany has lots of centers and it must come out of the history of having been all these different like dukedoms and all that kind of thing for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, And I love that about Germany. I love the variety. I love that we have so many dialects that are really very strong mm-hmm. uh, to the point where like when I when I teach people German I say the German that I'm teaching you it's just kind of like it's, we, we call it Hochdeutsch high German right it's like Hochdeutsch yeah yeah like like Mandarin or something it's you don't don't expect everybody to speak like this to each other mm. um, but it's like news German <laughs> oh, but okay. I didn't speak that until I went to school it's like the kind of variant of school I'm not expressing this very well but the the fact that our regional dialects are so strong it's not like it's stronger than British and American English differences I would say Hmm. yeah yeah and I love that about it and I love that Germans are so I'm I mean you know this is this is um no country's ever perfect and no way of doing things is is perfect but I think Germany has done an okay job looking at a very difficult past and being like, I'm proud of post-war Germany hmm. um, and and the kind of the, the history there. Not that it's the best country ever or anything, but it's interesting. Um, and there's been some really hard things. And you can tell with the way Germany is now, Uh, politically um, socially you can tell that that's based on everything that came before it and trying to learn some sort of lesson out of it yeah Um, so I like that and Mm -hmm. I like that they they they, like reasonable kind of discuss discussing debate open um is a thing that happens a lot like on German TV and stuff you always get these talking head shows where there's five people and they all disagree with with each other (laughs) um, and they get given a space to disagree so something that Germany gave me being German gives me uh, from from home is the knowledge that it's okay to disagree with somebody yeah Um, and I think that's more than in the UK in a way definitely more than here in the US for sure so you whispered that you come <laughs> from a wine region that is superior to France. Of course um, we are. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is what makes it superior? What is wine culture in Germany like? And and I ask you this specifically because I get the impression as an American, and I think a lot of Americans do, as we do our, you know, Oktoberfest celebrations in every single from a diner to a you know four-star restaurant um in october which is Mm -hmm. you know uh very literal um i think that we have this impression this like you said this uh 
Bavarian culture being the dominant, um, what we see in America. So we always think of uh, the the beer, the beer steins and the, you know, mm. the, this beer culture. But, you know, even as I was getting into drinking wine years ago, um, I admit I was shocked to know that Germany produces these amazing wines. And I would love to know like what, and I know you haven't lived in Germany for a, a while, but if you do know, what is the wine culture like in Germany? Um, mm. How do people relate to their wine regions and, and uh, what, what kind of culture is there around surrounding wine in Germany? I think most of the wine that gets produced in Germany is also drunk in Germany. Mm. And um, so it's very common for um, a restaurant in an area where wine is grown to offer you something regional, something local. Mm. And um, it's not, we don't have too many like really enormous companies. Like in the USA, what I've experienced when I've gone to see vineyards is they're kind of, they're so slick and business and so like on it whereas mm. what I've grown up in is like where's the tractor oh no someone's ringing the doorbell okay let's sit down with these guests and you know like have a chat with them and it's all family based like I've grown up in a family business yeah. so wine for me is it, it, it's what my family does you know and in the USA like people come into winemaking not to not because they've grown up in a vineyard or anything like that but because it's a it's a it's a cool interesting business to have yeah you know and then they don't actually it, 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 it's it's a much bigger operation so that's definitely something I think in Germany you don't have as many of that so the wines that you get obviously in a supermarket yeah but the wines that you get will be more likely to come from like a smaller producer and if they come from a bigger one, then it's often a syndicate where a lot of the producers kind of give part of their harvest, like sell part of the harvest to the bigger syndicate, and then they produce something. Um, and then that that's how they get the amounts that uh, they need in order to get into wholesale. Yeah, yeah. So it's a different kind of uh, production sort of region. Mm. The climate is also like, we're not superior to France. I'm joking. I'm very I much know. joking. I know. And it just... <laughs> Also, there just happens to be a line there. Um, but it, one of the things I did at, at undergrad when I um, when I was first at university in England, I did this. I did my undergrad dissertation uh, on German wine versus French wine mm. on the British market because I was so baffled when I moved to England that nobody understood that German wine is like <laughs> can be good. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know what, what, and, but everybody thought French wine was this like super fancy thing. And it is a, it is a true fact in America, not as much as in the UK, that if your wine happens to be the same thing, but it's from France, say if you, you have an Alsace and you have a, a Moselle wine, they're not that crazy different. Mm -hmm. um, if it's French, you, you can charge three, four, five pound more at least. Oh, for sure. Just because it's French. Yeah. Because that's what the customers, that's how the wines are seen. So so I kind of looked into that and, and looked at it from the external point of view. And it was just completely, it was, it was incredible. It was really educational to me. And uh, yeah, really taught me a lot about how German 
wine is seen around the world. But you're yeah. asking about in Germany. I think Germans really like to sit with a drink. That's mm. something cultural, I would say. Like, you get a drink and then you're just going to, like, sit and hang for hours mm. and hours and hours. Like, they take their time. If you, Once you're hanging out, you're hanging. You're, like, in this. Uh, you don't have to necessarily... I don't know, plan like to leave it. It's not like, is it in England? It's always like, is it polite? Like it, I, we should really leave because we're really getting on and this, this evening's getting on and the host doesn't want us this long. And in Germany, I've never seen that mm -hmm. to the same extent. It's more like, well, we're still here. <laughs> Bring another <laughs> glass. <laughs> Maybe that's just where I'm from though. Cause I'm from the countryside. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I love that in general about parts of Europe where you're just, you're with friends, you're enjoying yourself, you're having a good time and no one's rushing you, you know, no one's giving you the boot. It's just like, you know, here we don't have that culture here. It's like, especially when you're in a restaurant, they bring you the check before you even ask for it sometimes because they need the table. You yeah. Know? They so, move you on, don't they? It's yeah. that's not, yeah no I think that's I think that's rude <laughs> I hate it it's the word I mean you don't know any different if you haven't left the country and experienced you know these type of uh um you know evenings like what you're discussing but if once you've had that experience you don't want to go back to just being put forced out of a, a dining experience with someone you haven't seen in 10 years and then they're you know pushing you out on the sidewalk yeah, um, it both has its good sides because if you're the host and you're really, really tired, it can be really difficult to get rid of people. Mm -hmm. That's true too. <laughs> <laughs> so let me paint a picture. Okay, let me just preface this by saying I tried learning German last year and I failed spectacularly. I'm okay with it. It just wasn't my time. I wasn't ready. Um, and I you know, I'll come back to it at some point. Well, you did learn some German then. So I think you succeeded in learning German. You don't have to learn all of German at once. If I, 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 I feel like I'm okay with pronunciation. I'm terrible at the grammar and vocabulary, but I, I'm getting there and I'm, you know, it will happen. Um, I just want to know enough so that when I do come to Germany someday and go visit Germany someday, um, I can fake it and get around a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you if, if when that day does come and I am in Germany and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm having some wine, um, either in a restaurant or, uh, with a winemaker, uh, what are some German, uh, terms that you think I should know if I'm trying to describe what kind of wine that I'd like to drink? Oh, oh, that's good. Well, the the most important words that you probably have to know are uh, trocken, which is dry, trocken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I think you can still say halbtrocken. They change the designations every now and then, like the law, they come out with different words. But yeah, halbtrocken, ha like half dry, basically. Okay. Right, so halb and half, halb essentially same word. Okay. So you've got trocken. Trocken. What's the other one? Halb trocken. Yeah, halb trocken. Excellent. So you got trocken and halb trocken. And I have found, and I think you should, if you think you know that you like 
a dry wine or a sweet wine or whatever, and you haven't done a lot of, you haven't drunk a lot of wine from Germany before, I would just really let them kind of, like if they want you to try like a dry and a semi-dry, just try them all, try them all because they're different. Like the different palettes are different in different countries. Yeah. You know, like when a British person says they want something dry and I give them something that my mom calls really, really dry, then they're telling me it's too dry mm. often. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, yeah, I think that's just because some markets, you just get all these international wines. So um when they're produced in Germany, they might not be quite what you're used to from a um, like a South African wine or something. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. this is boring. I shall move on. <laughs> so you've got trocken and halb trocken, and and then you can either say süß, süß, yeah, for sweet. Oh. Um, but if you want to sound ever so slightly more like uh, legit, then you say lieblich, which is a lovely word. Lieblich. Yeah, you are good. So Lieblich. is that related to Liebling? Mm, Lieblich just kind of sort of means lovely, but we only ever use it to describe a wine that is sweet. Okay. Because I learned the word Liebling once. Mm-hmm. means like, yeah, like darling. sweetheart, darling. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, Liebe is the German word for love. Liebe. Ich liebe dich. Yeah. Wow, I know more German than I thought <laughs> That's how it works. What are some German wine terms that you can think of that may be tricky to pronounce for English speakers? Oh, like uh, Trockenbeerenauslöser? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's not difficult to pronounce. It's just long. Okay, so the German, and I think this is a good thing to know about German wines if we're talking about German wines. So we've got Trocken, Halbtrocken and Lieblich. Mm-hmm. You can tell I teach for the way I'm re- repeating these at you until you remember them. But <laughs> so, and then you have <laughs> this podcast interview is hilarious. You've got, um, like, we've got this, uh, it's, it's called the predicate. So it's like the way that the German system kinds of comes up with this sort of hierarchy of quality. Mm. And it's based on how much, it's based on how, um, how sh- not sugary, like how dense, how sweet essentially the grape is when you harvest in it, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of based on how much water is there compared to how much good stuff in the grape, how okay. much fruit, fruit, nectary kind of thing. You yeah. can measure that and then you have to kind of report that as you are, you have to, you know, you have to kind of track that and it kind of goes into, oh, this is what this wine will become. Mm-hmm. So taking that later then you want to look at a few things you want to look at the word predicat on the label but it might it doesn't have to be there so the real important words that you need to look for you want to look for something that ends in laser l-e-s-e laser mm-hmm. which means like selection or harvest mm-hmm so, so that's laser. like the harvest. Laser. Mm-hmm. Laser. It's the same word as lesen to read, but also lesen like to pick it out or something okay. like that. Okay. So it's like wine laser or traubenlaser is, is harvesting the grapes. Oh. And then, so you want to look for a word that ends in laser. Mm-hmm. You don't want to ever buy something that's called Landwein unless they're charging you $5 for it, but it's probably going to be bad. Um, but okay. so you're looking for something that says Qualitätswein. 
because that's quality. That's relatively easy. <laughs> It'll look like the word quality. Um, and then you want something with laser at the end. That's the good stuff, right? Okay. So the the lev- the system goes cabinet, which is pretty decent, and then spät laser, ooh, nice. And that can be dry or li- trocken or lieblich. It, it doesn't matter. It's just kind of about the oomph, I guess, of the wine. Mm-hmm. And I'm a white wine girl, so I'm really talking white wine here. Mm-hmm. White wine's better, yeah. <laughs> so you got the spät laser. Spätlaser. And then the next one up from the spät, that's a late harvest. So mm-hmm. imagine the fruit has hung a little bit longer. It's a little bit ripe, right? So it's right, a late right. harvest. Mm-hmm. And then you get Auslese, which is like they're picked out, right? So it's like a selection. Auslese. Um, yeah. And then the next is Beerenauslese. So then it's like a selection of the berries. Um, and you can, I'm talking very much like Mosel production methods, but imagine you're going into the vineyard and you're looking for the overripe ones. You're no right. longer just like your machine is like trucking down, you know, the, the, the fields mm-hmm. and just, just, you harvest everything. You literally have people going through there and looking around going, oh no, there's not ripe yet. We're not taking those. Those are starting to rot. They're the good stuff. Okay. So you, and obviously more expensive uh, lower yield more effort to make and all that good mm, stuff mm-hmm. so then you've got the but i'm kind of going through it because that the word builds up as well so you've got the <laughs> auslese the selection then you've got the beeren auslese the berry selection and then the word trocken which means dry so then they're the berries i guess that are like maybe they get starting to go a bit like raisin i think mm. that's what it comes from okay. so then you've got the dry berry selection trocken beeren auslese trocken beer and i think you could probably impress someone with that (laughs) oh my gosh getting through a german word is fun it's kind (laughs) of like it's intimidating but it's so like oh man i did it (laughs) it is and the word is just like the word does such a jolly thing um, Welsh does this too. Maybe that's why I like. It's another point for Welsh. It it you know it. We do. I think they call it agglutinative. We just stick all the mm. words together to make mm-hmm. bigger words. Yeah. Um, as opposed to saying, oh, the so and so of the so and so with the so and so. We just whack them all together. Right. And that's fun. It is so so much fun. You gotta One... love German to learn German. <laughs> I really really enjoy it, and I love pronouncing it too. So. Um... I'll get there. <laughs> no rush. Yeah, no rush. I got time. So since you are from a family of winemakers, um, is your wine available? Like, is your family's wine available um, outside of the vineyard? Like, where can it be purchased? Like online. <laughs> okay. So you, like you can order from us online. And if you happen to be a listener in the European Union, then do that and it'll be really easy to ship it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've recently had some issues with shipping to the UK because of Brexit. Aye. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a real thing. It's a real mm. I've had to ring I've had to phone a customer on my mom's behalf, um, because my English is better. Um, and then chat to this customer and go, Yeah, sorry, we're gonna have to cancel your order because mm. we don't know how to get it to you. Would you like to pay eight times the postage amount that it was last year? Holy macaroni. I know, I know. It'll get better. Well, it'll get figured out. But right yeah. now it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, so if you're in the USA, you can't directly order from us. Because no. again, shipping and it's not possible. You can go to your trusted local wine shop 
or order online and look for a wine company called Richter, that's R-I-C-H-T-E-R. And they are a bigger business than ours. So they've got like a ship abroad agent, but they're from across the road. Um, and I once hosted this German retreat, like back in the non-COVID days, I used to host <laughs> retreat for German, for German learners where we just mm -hmm. kind of hang out. And I did one where we had a day where we just hung out with my family, basically. That's um, so cool. We, we, yes. <laughs> like my parents took us on a tour around the vineyards. And she said she was drinking wine from this bottle. And she was, you know, she showed me the bottle when she booked and she was like, I think she said, do you know where this is? Or look, this is like the wine that I know. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's literally across the road from where I grew up. Like that's my neighbor. <laughs> uh, and so you can buy my sort of neighbor's wine in America, in New York. I know because she's okay. from New York. Cool. And it was very exciting for her to be in front of the actual house from the wine table. <laughs> it really is a wonderful thing. I think, especially for us in the US to like have that, like, oh, this is the same wine that I drink, you know, every weekend. And then like, you're actually there. It's thrilling. It is so cool. It's yeah, so cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I mean, it's the Romans who brought wine to us as well. So we got a lot of kind of really, really old heritage as well, which makes it again, kind of different. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. And tell us the, the website. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. If you, if you happen to just have a look, you know, you just get to wave to my mom or something. It's a uh, wine good. So W E I N G U T dash hammers H A M E S dot D E. Perfect. I think it's all in German at the moment, but the shop is in English also. Okay. Well, at the very least, uh, if you can't get your wine to the UK or to the U S or outside of the EU, you can uh, practice your just German. Look, yeah, just look for Moselle <laughs> wines. Like wines from the Moselle have a certain character and stuff. So I think Moselle, if you like white wine, Moselle Riesling is is a wine worth checking out. Definitely. I, I am a red wine drinker. However, uh -huh, she is. I will tell you, if I drink a white wine, it has to be a German Riesling mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. uh, Gewürz. Uh, is that Austrian though? Uh, no, Gewürztraminer is, it's mostly the Alsace. It's like, oh, okay. we, we do make it in the German kind of side, but it's basically same, not very different region across the border. Yeah, it's, um, what's the word? I, I don't find that here very often. And I think just maybe it's <laughs> a pronunciation thing. Uh, but a German Riesling, I cannot resist. It's delicious and... Um, now I wish I had some, but <laughs> maybe later. It's, it's, I know, I know. Well, we can hang out. We can we can go and get some. Yeah. <laughs> this after is... recording, which is like after dark, it'll just be Ellen and me drinking wine. It'd be great. Yeah. Um, Kirsten, this has been such a fun conversation to have with you, and thank you so much <laughs> for for your insight, for the laughs, for your expertise, for your encouragement, for everything. I'm so happy to have had you as a guest on my show. I'm honored, I'm truly honored um, that you had the time to talk to me today and share your story with all of us. Oh, thank you so much. It's been really fun to come and just kind of chat about 
Yes, all the different bits <laughs> that kind of add up and like make up a life and a person, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I like to end each episode with the same question. So I like to bookend with the same beginning and end. Um, do you have any jokes, swear words, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or words of advice? to share and I know that you know I initially said uh in German but you've studied so much and (laughs) (laughs) if you have any any you know I'll open it up any language that you can can share any of those things in that would be great you know what's one of my one of my favorite sayings which I think is because uh it's so true for me (laughs) so true for me and it's from latin class um oh. yeah i know and i'm digging deep here but <laughs> which is maybe you know it sita quisis philosophus mansisis i do not know that okay so sita quisis um had you kept your kept you kept you had you kept quiet so mm-hmm. uh, sorry i learned this in, in when i was i learned from i learned latin from german so it's hättest du geschwiegen wärst du philosoph geblieben in german and essentially it means had you kept quiet you'd have remained a philosopher oh right so it's kind of because i'm so extroverted and i just come out with stuff so often i'm like oh man i wish i hadn't said anything because then people would think i'm clever <laughs> <laughs> It's one of my favorite sayings for that reason. Sitaku is this philosopher's man. This is clearly people have had that problem for thousands of years. I'm going to tell you in all the years of Latin that I took in high school, we never spoke Latin. We only translated Latin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like cool for me to hear somebody speaking Latin like and like so rapidly. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. but now you have (laughs) you have to teach it to me now all the same yeah okay so it's just four words okay uh so c c right like if i think the same way that it's in spanish or something anyway so so c and then it's taco isis c taco isis yes and if you think of tac right that's the same root of word i think as when you're in english you call somebody taciturn Mm. oh yeah 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 language is amazing so taquises had you kept quiet um philosophus philosophus yeah like a philosopher man and then manzises 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 yeah so that ises is the subjunctive ending i think oh subjunctive yeah our good old friend So had you been, had you kept your calm or had you kept your quiet, kept your mm-hmm. mouth shut, you would have remained a philosopher. That's brilliant. I love I it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I'm, I'm reaching back to the ancient languages for, for my wisdom here. That's good. I feel accomplished. I think you're the first one so far who's, who's reached back into antiquity. um for this question so I greatly appreciate it I love Latin I I also need to find a Latin speaker for this show um and you know brush up on Latin it's been like 20 years but (laughs) I I love it and um 
And okay. So again, um, Kirsten, thank you so much for, for teaching me that uh, Latin phrase and for, for sharing your time in general. I really, again, I really enjoy talking to you. And uh, before you go, before I let you go, um, don't think about this too hard, but in this situation, what would be the best way to say goodbye? Oh, can we, can we say goodbye like we do on the Fluent Show? That'd be fun. Sure. Okay. So, but we'll do it with you as the host. So you have to say, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And then you say, and it's goodbye from Kristen Cable. And then I say goodbye in a different language. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say, uh, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Kristen Cable. Cheers. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon, Kirsten. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Bye.